Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 64 this evening, and we're going to talk about what we just sang about, honestly, the, the gospel that it took us from being enemies of God into his family, literally seated at his table, welcomed into the family. Um, the song we're going to study here tonight, Psalm 64, it has what is the hopefully now familiar fear, facts, faith elements in it. But at the end of this psalm, we have a new presentation of what our movement from fear to faith can do. It can be powerfully used by God to declare and share the gospel. And that's something we focused on quite a bit recently in Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening studies, and with good reason because it's the mission of our church. It's the mission of every single one of us who compose this church. Uh, It's a great commission given to us by Jesus Christ to share the gospel. It's something we are all to be actively involved in until Christ returns or until he calls us home to heaven. Uh, We ought to be sharing the gospel by telling others about Jesus, but it's God's design that our actions, how we live, that they be amplifiers to our announcement. Uh, Our message is going to come across a lot more strong and with greater power when our message is evident in how we live, uh, in what we do. Uh, That gives a, a critical credibility to what we say about who Jesus is for us and why others in our lives who haven't yet trusted him as Savior uh, should. So that's what this psalm is about, especially in how it concludes. Let's read it. Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. They wet their tongue like a sword, and they bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him, and they fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search, both the inward thought of every one of them, and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded, so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear, and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider of his doing, and the righteous shall be glad in the Lord, and shall trust in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. Let's pray. Lord, as we study this song you've given us tonight, as we see how David prays for deliverance and then the amazing way that you provide it, and as we look at how this song ends, um, that all of that that went on, David's persecution, his, his prayer to you, you providing for him, all of it was a powerful opportunity to point others to you. Varied responses, but all of them recognized your work in his life. I pray that if we're in a similar circumstance that David is, 
where there's something causing fear in our lives, uh, some sickness, some suffering, some emotional distress, that we wouldn't waste that opportunity, but you would strengthen us through your Holy Spirit and through your word and through your promises to seize that opportunity to point others to you. And pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So David's prayer for deliverance, that's how this begins. Verses 1 to 6, we see the content of his prayer in verses 1 and 2. That's David's first response. It's not his last resort. It's never, well, I guess I could pray about it after I've tried so many things. It's his first response. David goes to his God in prayer. Verse 1, he says, Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Verse 2, hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. So David goes to his God in prayer, pleading that God would hear him. In verse 2, that God would hide him. And his prayer begins here with, Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. You know, there are times when we find ourselves in such deep distress, such sorrow, that an audible prayer is what must flow out of our mouths. I would say the vast majority of the time, not, not when I'm up here, but when I'm in the car or at home, when I'm lifting you all up in prayer, it's a silent prayer. I'm at home on the couch or in bed or sometimes driving in the car. My lips might be moving, but there's not an actual voice. This is not what's happening here. There is a voice here. There's a cry. Um, the Hebrew word for voice in verse 1 means sound. Hear my, hear my sound, oh, oh God. I lift my sound to you. And we know that this prayer is coming from David's deep distress because the word prayer in this opening phrase is the Hebrew word siach. It means complaint or lament. He's crying out to God uh, with sorrow. David's prayer is originating from his heart that is in significant sorrow. We're going to find out why, what the cause of his sorrow is later in verses 2 and on. But first, let's finish verse 1 here. David prays, preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. You notice that? David is pleading with God to deliver him by preserving or by guarding his life. But notice from what? Fear. From fear. Not the enemy, but from the fear of the enemy. In this final phrase here of this first verse, our real enemy is identified. It's not an individual. It's not a group of individuals. It's not even the threat that they pose. But it's our response to all these three that can cause the most damage. It's fear. The actual threat that we need God to guard us from, to preserve us from. It's not another human being. David said as much back in Psalm 56.4. He was writing that psalm after he had been captured by the Philistine army. Very dangerous situation. Very threatening people. Definitely wanted to do David harm. This was the one who killed their champion Goliath. And he says there in Psalm 56, 4, And God, whose word I praise, and God I trust and I'm not afraid, I will not fear what mortals can do to me. I won't. David says later in Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So in fueling our faith in the midst of distress, God also reminds us in the New Testament through the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, 31. What shall be our response to these things? What are the these things he's talking about? That's Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what shall our response be to that, to those things, that truth? If God is for us, who can be against us. That's what David says there, or that's what Paul says there. Hebrews 13, 6 is given to us to create courage. It says there, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
What can man do to me? What can man do to me? So even the most scary individuals, if we go back to that Philistine army situation, they're reduced to dust before our sovereign God, who's all-powerful, who's always good, who's our deliverer. David's going to talk to God about his persecutors here in just a moment. But first, God uses him to remind us of what our real enemy is. It's fear. He says, preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Fear is the threat to our faith. It's fear that can cause us to take our eyes off God. It's fear that can steal his glory by us thinking about being preoccupied, being consumed with whatever's causing our fear. It's fear that can quiet our worship instead of exalting him in praise. Fear makes us hush. It's fear that can immobilize our service to him. We know what we should do. I see that all the time in my life. God burdens me, go share the gospel with this person. And well, somebody else was talking. What will they say? What will the other people think of me? Fear and immobilizes uh, our service to the Lord. And like David, it's fear that we need to cry out to God and say, guard me from that. <laughs> Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Well, verse 2, after David pleads with God to hear him, now he prays for God to hide him, to hide him from the secret counsel of the wicked. That's their plans for David's demise. He prays for God to hide David from the insurrection of the sinners. That, that's the unrest, the agitation that results from their wicked plans. And so these are the things that can so easily cause fear in our lives, and David prays that God would hide him from them. There's nothing wrong with praying for that. If we're not aware of whatever is going to threaten us, we can't be afraid of whatever's threatening us. If they can't get to David, well, then the fear that they can create can't get to David. And we ought to pray for the same thing so that we're guarded from fear's potential destructive effect to our faith. Sometimes we are. Have you ever heard, ignorance is bliss? Krista says, if ignorance is bliss, how come more people aren't happy? Uh, you've said that before. Yes, you have. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's true, though. We don't. You know how many storms you never saw that God pulled you from? Didn't even know what happened. Didn't even know you were in a storm. God protected you from fear, um, destroying your faith, weakening your faith. Sometimes we're not hit. Though. Sometimes we're not hid from knowing about evil people and their evil plans for us. But in that situation, just like David here, it's, what, it's in what we're going to choose to focus on. It's what we're going to do when we're made aware of the threat and the fear. We're going to de- decide whether fear wins, whether faith wins. All in what we choose to focus on. Fear effects. Our enemy, fear, is he going to win? Or is our almighty God going to win? Now, verse 3 to 6, we have the conduct of David's persecutors. He goes into detail in this prayer to God about what is causing his fear. At this point, the mere mortal enemies that are behind the main enemy of fear, or that's creating fear in David's life, they're attacking David with verbal weapons. They say, uh, David says in verse 3, they wet their tongue like a sword. They bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. So again, we've seen this so many times in the Psalms that this is one of the main threats David highlights in his prayers to God. And words are powerful. They are. Uh, Listen to that language he uses. They wet their tongues like a sword. And the idea there is a continual sharpening 
through repeated use. This is a constant attack. And they have bitter words. They're like arrows. And, and the threat is imminent. It's like somebody who's drawn back that arrow in a bow. And it's ready. It's even aimed. Ready to inflict harm at any moment. And that's what verse 4 describes too. That they may shoot in secret at the perfect. And suddenly, suddenly do they shoot at him. And they fear not. <clears throat> it's almost like a, a guerrilla warfare type tactic. David's persecutors, they lie hidden. They're ready to ambush him unexpectedly. That would be a very understandable fear-causing circumstance. In verse 4, this is even, I think this is where it gets the scariest. At the end of verse 4, it says they fear not. These are people who have no, no concern for God and his word. And his will for their life. No concern for God and that God's even aware of their actions. Verse 5, they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privately. They say, who shall see them? So right there, this reiterates that same ambivalence toward God and, and what God knows or doesn't know about what they're doing, about his omniscience, about his omnipresence. These people say, who shall see them? And the first part of verse 5 and verse 6 tells us what wicked people do, as well as what Satan, who drives their actions, does. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares. Verse 6, they search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. It's true that sin is so often an easy way in this world. It's an easy way of doing things. But it's also true, and it's really, it's incredible how hard sinners work at sinning, isn't it? I mean, they're diligent in sinning. They search out ways to sin. And it's such an evidence of the depravity of the human condition that's apart from faith in Christ. There seems to be no end, nothing too extreme, nothing too far for them to search for sin. And these guerrilla warfare tactics of the wicked it shouldn't cause us to assume that there's not also detailed planning. That's what's talked about here in verses 5 to 6. There's detailed planning in carrying out their wickedness and, and in tempting others to join them. Satan is a strong adversary. He's smart. He's wily. All right? But this truth also shouldn't cause us to resign in fear because we have a stronger ally, right? We do. Uh, so in resolute faith, buoyed by the facts about who God is, what God has done in the past in David's life and in other people's lives, um, focusing in on what God has promised to do for David, like him we should cry aloud in dependent and fervent prayer to God, just like David did at the end of verse 1, saying, God, please guard me from the fear of the enemy. Guard me from the enemy too. But most importantly, guard me from the fear of the enemy. Now, verses 7 to 10, this is a turning point from, from fear and facts and into faith of this psalm, God's provision of deliverance. In verses 7, in the beginning of verse 8, we see the route of God's deliverance. You know, one of the most wonderful things about God is how he works. Hundreds of years ago, a hymn writer, William Cowper, wrote the hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Isn't that true? He don't ever get stuck in a rut. Isaiah 55, 8 reminds us of this truth. It says, his thoughts, not our thoughts. His ways, not our ways. They're higher, right? His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. I love Habakkuk 1.5, one of my favorite verses. God calls us there to look among the nations and see. Wonder. Be astounded. God says, I'm doing a work in your day that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. You just don't know about it. You need to trust me. 
In Romans eleven thirty three, God has Paul remind us, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. We need to trust him. He's all-knowing, omniscient. He's everywhere, omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's good. What is the route of God's delivering David here in this psalm? Look at verse 7. God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Oh, they got arrows? Remember, they got arrows. Strong back, ready to fire at David. But who else has an arrow? God does. And then the first part of verse 8 tells us the route of God's deliverance. I love it because it's rather ironic in this instance. They were using words. Well, what happens with their words? So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All those evil plans that they were talking about, planning together, all the slander that was hurled toward David, what happens? Comes back on them. That's how God works. Then there's all these responses, the rest of the songs, all these different responses to God's deliverance, to David's situation. A few different results and responses. And there's some irony, there's some... uh, Poetic justice uh, even here. What's the, the first response when their own tongue falls upon themselves? All that see them, all that see them, they shall flee. So flight, that's the first response. Not by David. David's not fleeing. Not by the faithful, but those who were without faith. Those who had no regard for God. Those who didn't think he cared. Well, they, they, should, they should have had regard for him. And their response is to flee away. Then there's a response of fear. Verse 9. And all men shall fear. And they shall declare the work of the God. For they shall wisely consider of his doing. That's the initial response of anyone who hasn't thought much about God in their life. Hasn't thought much about God's word. Hasn't even considered that God had a purpose for them. When they're suddenly confronted with the reality of all we just talked about. God, his word, his will for their life. Um, and their prior ignorance, fear is the normal response. It's, it's the right realization of who God is and who they are in contrast. And then following this, this newfound awe, this fear, uh, is a declaration of the work of God in verse 9. It reminds me of that Roman soldier at the foot of the cross when he saw all of the natural events going on when Jesus breathed his last, the sky darkening and earthquakes and Bodies rising from the dead. What did that Roman centurion say? Truly, this was the Son of God. I don't know if he was saved or not. doesn't tell us explicitly. But he at least recognized who God was because of everything that had happened. Same thing here. doesn't say all these people who flee and then they, then they have a right fear of God. That's, you can't get saved without that. That's the, that's the essential starting point. They declare the work of the Lord, just like the centurion did at the foot of the cross. Whether or not God's deliverance of David had driven the all men that we see in verse 8 and 9, um, everybody who witnessed it, if it had driven them to turn to faith in God, I, I don't know. But they're at least, at the very least, they are compelled uh, to acknowledge God's mighty hand and magnify his might and glory. And then finally in verse 9, it says that God's deliverance of David had caused them to wisely consider of God's doing. And the Hebrew word there, sokal, means to give attention to so as to gain insight. This isn't just saying, well, that's the work of the Lord. They're actually, now we got to look into this because this isn't normal. 
God's involved here. This is supernatural. So are you starting to put all of this together in those three responses? David's trouble and circumstance. He had many. List one here in this psalm. And you've got many. But David's troubling circumstance, David's painful persecution that he was enduring, and then God's deliverance of him from it, it had some effects beyond David simply being delivered. That's a good thing. That's what David prayed for. (laughs) That's what we would pray for. We want to be delivered. But it had effects beyond David being rescued from pain and sorrow. And if you and I, if we respond rightly, just like David did, if we respond to our fear-inducing circumstances the same way that David does here, by pleading with God in prayer for protection from fear, our greatest enemy, but by focusing on the facts about him rather than by focusing on our fear and then ascending to faith, well, we can have the opportunity to be used of God to live a song that shares the gospel. That's what he's doing here. I mean, he's singing this song. He wrote it, but he lived this song before he wrote it. We've got an opportunity in all of that. What we're going through, what God's allowed into our life, maybe, maybe even what God's designed into our life, and then how we respond to it, we got an opportunity to share with sinners, just like we were at one point, the message of hope that is found in Jesus Christ, all by how we live, by how we respond to the circumstances that David described in the first six verses of this psalm. Both our painful circumstances and God's providing deliverance from them, they, they can be a gospel message if we'll seize the opportunity to share it. There's even a gospel message uh, in how we respond to those who have already responded to the gospel message. It can go to them as well. Other Christians who maybe are currently in a difficult situation. Maybe they're heading into one. Maybe they're almost out of one. Uh, They can have their faith fueled by your response, my response, uh, that lives a song that shares the gospel. By us responding rightly, just like David did here. Now, we can verbally, and we should, Verbally tell people the gospel, even Christians. We, could, we should encourage them. Hey, keep on. You can, you can do it. Focus on God's promises. We should communicate that with our words, but we can also show our brothers and our sisters who are in the battle how to keep on in faith. It speaks a lot louder. Our painful circumstances give credibility to what we confess as truth and what we communicate. We communicate through our conduct both to the rebellious who don't know Jesus and to the redeemed, those who have been saved, that Jesus is better, that the way, the truth, the life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. What we choose to focus on in situations like this, what we choose to glorify in them, it gives credibility to what we confess as truth. God has already delivered us. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, he's already delivered you from sin, and death and hell. And that gives your communication of the gospel credibility. And God's upcoming not yet, but he will. In faith, he will. Deliverance of you. It gives your communication of the gospel credibility. Uh, Paul says as much in uh, Colossians. He says that I'm filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Is anything lacking in what Christ gave us? Nothing. Nothing. So what is Paul talking about? He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, pray for me, but don't, don't get depressed about what I'm going through because 
I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. What Paul's talking about there is I'm, I'm living out the gospel. You're getting a real-time picture. Yeah, you heard about Jesus. You heard about him. That was a, a generation ago. For us, it was thousands of years ago, and we heard the gospel message. But when people can see a real-time gospel message, when they can see somebody that goes, Jesus is number one. Jesus is better. Yeah, I'm going through a tough time. But, but in my sufferings, I'm filling up what is like. There's nothing lacking in Christ's sufferings other than a real-time 2021 example of loving Jesus more than anything else. Our conduct always communicates more than our conversations, our behavior. What we do amplifies and announces way more than what we just simply believe in our heart. So if you're like David and you're in a place of deep distress tonight, will you do what he does here in Psalm 64? Will you cry out to God? Right now, as we close in a couple of songs, we say, God, protect me from fear. <laughs> protect me from my enemies. But worst of all, protect me from fear. And if fear does arise, will you do what David has done almost 64 times now? Shift your focus from whatever's causing fear to the one you've placed your faith in. Focus on those facts, who God is, what God's done, what God's promised. I was reading a book written in the 1800s by D.L. Moody last night, and he said, our prayers are not what they ought to be. And I thought, boy, if that was true, 150 years ago. What about now? And uh, a modern, modern way of saying what he said is, a lot of times our prayers are little text messages. That's okay. God likes those prayers. But, but what he wants is, is this deep <laughs> pleading with him, deep communication with him, um, praying back his promises. You want to see something happen in your life? Pray God's promises to God. Pray his promises to him. Will you see and seize your painful distress and God's providing you deliverance of it as an opportunity to live out the song that shares the gospel? And then will you sing it? Will you share it? Not tonight here singing together with music, but will you sing it by how you live? And when people see that, some will flee. You might think you're a little weird. Some will fear. They'll get their first taste of, of God, like God is real in your life. And some might turn in faith, but, but all will do it because you chose to follow David's example here. All will do it because you responded rightly in your circumstance. Don't waste that opportunity to live the gospel out loud.